Good morning, everyone. If you will, go ahead and open your Bibles with me. Genesis chapter 11. Our passage this morning is from verses 10 through 32. You can go ahead and take a look at the text. You see, if not all of it, we have a genealogy here this morning. And I want to ask you a question. How many of you have read or tried to read genealogies in the Bible and struggled with this? Oh. And actually, during my studies this week to prepare the sermon, of course, we read the text a bunch of times, and we pray, read again, and pray, and start to see the connections. And then we go through, after pretty much the sermon is done, we check commentaries and theologians just to make sure we are not saying nothing heresy or error. And the first commentary that I read, he said like this. It is very unlikely that a preacher would devote an entire exposition to this genealogy. And I was like, what does it mean? Do I, what do I do now? <laughs> it is all done. <laughs> and it's very unlikely, it's not impossible. But the thing is, this is God's word. Genealogies are here and they're not here in vain. Just like we, in the prayer of confession, or the call of worship, sometimes we are seeing things not the way God sees them. And we have to learn to see the same way God is seeing stuff. Genealogies are the same. It is as inspired for us as Scripture in general. So the question is, what is this text, Genesis 11, 10 through 32, teaching us this morning in line with what we are hearing from the other sermons. And, of course, we had already genealogies in chapter 10, for example, or genealogies in chapter 5 in Genesis. And I want to show you this morning that the genealogy we have here in Genesis chapter 11 is pretty much similar to the genealogy we have in Genesis chapter 5, there are some similarities, but also there's some differences that I want to highlight with you this morning before we go to the text itself. You have it here comparing the genealogy. So you have Genesis 5 and Genesis 11. What is similar? So both two lists, there's 10 names. And the last named person of the list have three sons. That's similar. But what is different? The difference is it's moving from a broad perspective to a very narrow focus on the narrative now. So Genesis chapter 
1 through 11 basically is understood as the first part of the book of Genesis. And then we have the second part, which is chapters 12 through 50. So we are in the very transition of the book, moving from a very broad perspective, the story of the entire world, moving to a very narrow focus on Abraham. From nations to individuals, and this individual is going to bless all the nations, all the families on the earth. Second, the difference is Genesis 11, if you read it, comparing with Genesis 5, we do not have the total number of years of the individuals. And the third, it does not close the sections with this person lived this many years, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. That's Genesis 5. It's right after the fall. So the emphasis on genealogy in chapter 5 is see the effects of sin and fall in entire humanity. But not Genesis 11. Of course, people were dying. We know this. By the end of Genesis 11, we see Abraham's father, Terah, he died. But the focus is not pointing to the effects of the fall in our lives. It is pointing us to something different. Basically, all kinds of genealogies in the ancient times were like vertical lists, just like we have here. And they were, their purpose was pretty much to legitimate claims to thrones or inheritances. So basically, when you read the accounts of the creation or the flood and other texts from all the other gods and cultures, they have genealogies as well. But their genealogies are focus on man, on how powerful an individual was to conquer the universe or to claim a throne or an inheritance. Of course, Genesis 11 is doing the same with Abraham to say, he is the guy now, he is the heir of all the blessings, he is receiving God's call to move on, and it's through Abraham that we are going to have the fulfillment of the seed of the woman. So Genesis 5 is stressing the consequences of sin, death. Genesis 11 is a movement away from death towards the promise, stressing not death, but life, expansion, there's some high expectations here. If you are the original reader or listener of the book, in this point in time, you would like, now it's the time. Adam and Eve, they failed. Noah failed. But now comes the time 
where God is going to fulfill the promise. Now it's come the time where this man, Abraham, and his family is going to bless all the families on the earth. But the introduction to Abraham's life and family is not that way. And we see here in Genesis 11, before we go next week to Genesis 12 and see the calling of Abraham and all the blessings and promises, there's one thing here in this text that is saying, Abraham is not the guy. This family is just a transition, and we have to still keep waiting. So the title and the main idea of the sermon this morning is blessed or broken. Blessed or broken. When life circumstances fail the expectations, will you trust the God that brings order from chaos? When life circumstances fail the expectations, will you trust the God that brings order from chaos? So let's go ahead and focus on the first part of the main idea. When life circumstances fail the expectations. If you read Genesis 11, let's focus now on verses 27 through 32, and I'm going to read God's word from this part. Verse 27 says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram and his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his sons, Abraham's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. If you know a little bit of the context and the original audience would notice this, Ur of the Chaldeans is not a good land. It's not a good place to live. The culture, the religion, it's not following the true God. They're pagans. They are worshiping false gods, specifically the moon god called Sin. Even when we see the names of the wives here, Sarai and Milcah, 
The meaning in the, old, the ancient language, the original translation would be the princess and the queen of the god moon. They're spouses of the moon god. Not necessarily in the way, but it's just showing how the culture, how they were immersed and involved in a fallen culture, not following the God of Israel. They're following and worshiping false gods. Actually, Joshua, in one of his speeches in his book, says to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Therah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. But of course, there's a transition. There's conversion. There's the calling of this family to worship the true God. And we are going to see this more specifically in chapter 12. But we have here Genesis 31 speaking on this transition. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judged between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. So it's, it means that in a point of time, there was conversion. There was the calling of not only Abraham... But his entire family, and even his father and Nahor, his brother. One of Terah's sons dies, leaving two orphans, and then Terah himself dies. And Stephen, in the New Testament, the martyred deacon, says this. It's not in here, but it says, The God Abraham called from his land and brought him to the land where you are now living. The idea here, especially when you see the original language, is that Stephen is saying that God removed this family from that land. It is speaking on how sovereign and how gracious God was to specifically reveal himself to that family and remove them from that land, from that culture, from that worshiping of false gods into the worship of the true God. But the, the background is not great. I remember watching some videos. I love studying about Israel and the culture and evangelism between Jews nowadays, and they are very proud in saying that our father Abraham and even his father was a true worshiper of God. But when you see the background before this conversion, it was very bad. It was not good. God is doing something great, and he is not starting it with somebody on point. Actually, that's the way God does things, right? He does not depend on our righteousness to bring redemption. That's the very opposite. Redemption comes because there's nobody righteous before the Lord our God. And before we move on 
What, what is the message that we keep hearing over and over and over since Genesis chapter 3? There's this promise, the seed of the woman that will crush serpent's head and will bring salvation, will bring redemption. So what is scripture telling us? Keep your eyes on woman. Watch for the women because the born guy will come from the woman. He is the seed of the woman that will bring salvation, redemption. So even when we are reading the genealogy of chapter 11, our focus should not be on Abraham, but the women. And when we focus on women in chapter 11, we see a problem. Actually, theologian says, and I agree with those, that here again in this text, there, there is what it's called a chiasms. Now, remember, I brought this in a previous sermon here. I love to understand it as a burger. Pardon the illustration. But imagine this as a structure, as a burger. Usually, nowadays, in our society, we do not follow an understanding just like they used to. We are very like from A to B to C to D. They used to put the center of the message in the middle of the text, and then the rest of the text is just pointing back to what was said. So you have the bread on top and at the bottom. If you're like me, there's only tomato and tomato again, cheese, and then the burger. The question is, what is the burger here? What is the burger of our text? Sarai is barren. She has no children. You see, we have an introduction to Terah and then a conclusion to Terah. We have the notice of the family lives in Ur of the Chaldeans. And then again, the family leaves the Ur of the Chaldeans. So what is the center message that is not repeated? There's no repetition there's two ways biblical authors want to emphasize or use ways to emphasize something in a text. First, repeating a lot. They repeat the words. The second way is mentioning just one time. That's the emphasis. And what is the emphasis here? Sarai is barren. She has no children. She can't have children. The question is, how is the Messiah going to come through this family? Because she is barren. She has a problem. It's an obstacle. How is redemption going to come? And again, wasn't it a movement from death towards the promise? Focusing not on death, but now life? And what about the curse to Eve? God never said, now you're going to be barren. He said, there's going to be a lot of pain. But not barren? 
And now we come to a family, to a situation. It's not there's a lot of pain. She's barren. She cannot have children. That's the effects of sin, the consequences of the fall. And God is teaching the people. When life circumstances fail, the expectations. Are you going to trust me, the God that brings order from chaos? Where are you focusing on? Your circumstances, your abilities to promote redemption or to bring restoration? Or are your eyes focused on the Lord your God? Remember, Second Chronicles says, we do not know what to do now, Lord, but our eyes are fixed on you. Scripture says, brothers and fathers, hear me. Stephen, the God of glory, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. You have to wait God telling where to look next. Because most of the times, like Abraham, like we are going to see his story, he is looking at himself. He is trying to manufacture the promise. But God is saying, look to me. I am going to point you the way. Or even Exodus says, God is promising to Israel in the land None shall miscarry or be barren in your land if you follow my commandments. I will bless you and your people in such a way that among you there will be no miscarriage or women barren in your land. That's the kind of God that said in Psalm 113 that we read this morning, who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. That's the kind of God that Israel is called to believe, rely, and trust on. Not in the circumstances. In God. Because he is powerful enough to not necessarily change the circumstances, but work miracles in it. Not only brokenness is not an obstacle for God to work, actually, this is our God's expertise. He loves to work with broken people. And I am an example of that. And you are an example of that. We are not the perfect guys here. 
he loves. It's not an obstacle to have a broken situation. On the contrary, it is the perfect scenario to God to work. Remember, all three matriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three wives were what? Barren. It's not a coincidence. It's God telling you and me. It's not because of them. It's not because I saw something good in them that now I'm going to work and bring redemption. It is grace. And I'm going to show to Israel. And I'm going to show to all the nations around that it's not because of them. It is because of me. My power. My grace. It's so ironic that Abraham is called the father of faith. When we see lots of examples in his story that he was faithless. It is so ironic that Sarah was called the mother of a nation when she was bearing. The point is this morning, Ventura, hear me. Hear God's word. You are never too broken that you can't be fixed. You are never too broken that God cannot fix you. On the contrary, it is the perfect situation, scenario, and condition that God can work. Because he loves to show that it's all about him, not about us. Martin Luther said, God made man out of nothing. And as long as we are nothing, he can make something out of us. It is because we are nothing that God makes something of us. What does blessing mean? What does blessing mean? Remember last sermon, the Tower of Babel. They were trying to what? Make a name for themselves. And it's interesting, in Genesis 11, the guy Shem, the meaning of his name is name. God is communicating that the people from the Tower of Babel, they were trying to make a name for themselves, and they failed because they were not giving God the glory. And now we have on verse 10 and on, the genealogy of Shem, the name. It is communicating that God is going to make a name for his people. And it's his own name. Not a manufactured name. Genesis 12, we are going to see this next week. God promised to Abraham... I'm going to give you a great name. It is a gift. It's not something you and I can make of ourselves. God has to give us a great name. You remember the promise of Jesus? If you win, you will receive a name in heaven. It is, brothers and sisters, a, an upside-down redemption. Redemption. 
an upside-down kingdom that we see in the New Testament so clearly that the one that wants to be the greater is the servant. The servant. If you are in the mindset of the Tower of Babel, trying to make a name for yourself, trying to protect yourself from God, trying to save yourself, you are going to fail. But if you're humbling yourself, recognizing I have nothing, but God is the one that can do something, here am I. Empty hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. That's the upside-down kingdom. Or think of me as Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I cannot read this and not think of the Tower of Babel. What is another example, Solomon, that is, unless the Lord do it, I cannot do it by myself. He gives another in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. You know this. Even our society with such a developed science and medicine, physicians, they know how to treat you if you have problems having kids. There's some stuff that you can do nowadays. But remember... There's a lot of families trying to have kids, and they're healthy, and they can't. And there's family that can't have children, and all of a sudden, by a miracle of God, there's children. It is not something that we can do by ourselves. We can do the act. We have to wait on God. God is going to send it. God is going to gift us with children The message is, are you going to put your empty hands before the Lord saying, Lord, here I am, nothing, do something with me? Or are you trying to go before the Lord saying, I have it all. I don't need you. Remember the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth from the virgin young lady. The Messiah came from a virgin birth, and he lived, and he died, and he came from the grave as a miracle, pointing humanity to God, saying, it's not what you're doing. It's not about yourself. It's not about having the right circumstances. It is about trusting God who can bring order out of chaos. We saw this since the beginning of Genesis. He is the God working chaos and bringing it to order. If he can do this to the universe, I'm sure he can do this to your life and to my life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 
Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of a noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We are like a potter's. Jeremiah 18 speaks on this. God is this one working on a vessel and he can make whatever he pleases. He can do this. And he has shown us in Old Testament, New Testament, and in our lives in a way that we can say as Paul. Paul heard Jesus saying, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So if you're not weak, God's power is not going to be made perfect in your life. You have to be weak. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with what? The circumstances. I'm not waiting, God, to change the circumstances. I'm content and satisfied, and I trust that even through these situations and circumstances, he's going to make his power perfect in my life. Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For it is when I'm weak that I am strong. The outside world does not understand it. It is when you are weak that you are strong. As the song that we are going to sing after the sermon, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. Yet not I, but Christ in So how do we do this? How do we, as Sarah, endure, not escape, endure the circumstance? Trusting God. It's not asking, Lord, change the circumstance. It's, Lord, change my heart. Help me to endure the circumstance because I know it's this circumstance that is going to point your glory it's not outside of it. We see Abraham's and Sarah's life later on in the book of Genesis. And now we are transitioning to this. There's going to be famine in the promised land. They'll be an exile in a hostile land. His wife will be kidnapped by pagan kings. There's going to be an ungrateful nephew who seizes land for himself. There's going to be war against mighty kings. There's Abraham's dying body. Later on, his promised son is going to be asked by God to be sacrificed. Again, Abraham. When life circumstances fail the expectations, are you going to trust the God that brings order out of chaos? 
your brokenness can become blessing. And that's only in Jesus Christ. That's only in the gospel. In that way, we don't have to ask the question, blessed or broken. We can have both. Because much of our blessings in Christ Jesus and in the gospel comes out of our brokenness. It's not removing the brokenness. Will you trust this God? Will you do as Sarah, that by faith herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised? Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Or as Paul says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. What is the, what is the message for us this morning? What is the application for us? Faith. Will you trust God? Will you continue to trust God? Perhaps you're saying, I, I just can't. The circumstances are just surrounding me and it's all dark around me. I cannot see anything. Psalm 139 says, even the darkness are not dark to God. It is as light. So persevere, Ventura. Keep going day by day. It is precisely your weakness that pleases the Lord to help you. It's not your lack of strength. It is having weakness in the right place. The conclusion of the sermon is that the following narrative on Abraham and Sarah and all the things that happens, we are not to focus on them as the heroes of the story. The only hero here is the Lord our God. Will you trust him? Let us pray. Oh, Lord, will you help us? Because our, as human beings, Lord, we know it is easy to say, but it's hard to do. Please, Lord, give us the encouragement that we need this morning. I don't know the life circumstances of people here. I know some. There's life circumstances in my own life. Let us all be reminded, Lord, here this morning by the power of your spirit to look to Christ and keep looking at him, trusting him, relying on him. There's hope, there's joy, there's grace for all of us. Lord, please do this because we cannot do it by ourselves. In Jesus' name, I pray. And may God supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.